Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhassa Unsurpassed, great, subtle, wonderful Dharma in a hundred thousand million eons is difficult to encounter. Now that I've come to receive and hold it within me by sight and hearing, I bow to fathom the thus come one's true and actual meaning. Venerable Master and Dharma friends, welcome to our Sutra lecture tonight. It is June 16th. It's a Saturday. We're here in Berkeley, California. We're going to be looking into the Avatamsaka Sutra's Ten Grounds chapter. So if you, uh, if this is the airplane that you wanted to be on, you're in the right place. We will definitely get you to Pittsburgh safely. And I would like to invite you to turn to the front cover of your text, and we're going to recite the name of the sutra and the Buddhas and Bodhisattvas. And before we do that, could I invite you all also to turn off your device? Make sure you hit that off switch. That'll avoid future embarrassment, including myself. Um, 
Okay, uh, tonight we're going to end at 9 o'clock, so uh, I'll be uh, talking about the sutra until about 8.30, a little after. Then we're going to uh, go into announcements, because we have a lot of announcements. Uh, and Alan, there's no monks in front of you. Would you mind moving over, please? Leave one empty space there. Good. Okay, uh, people are very, very busy um, preparing for our 50th anniversary of our teachers coming to the West. So that's, uh, folks will be coming in bit by bit tonight. Let's turn, please, to page 56 and 57. <coughs> down at the very bottom of the page, last two lines. Okay, here we go. Let's do the Chinese. Zi pu sa. Nian zhi wu liang. Su 无量白生 Ru 生于此处生于此处如是形状如是形状如是相貌如是相貌如是眼睛如是眼睛如是过去无量区别如是过去无量区别皆能意念皆能意念如是过去无量区别皆能意念皆能意念皆能意念皆能意念皆能意念皆能
remembers and knows for two lives, three lives, four lives, up to ten lives, twenty, thirty, and so on, including a hundred lives, limitless hundreds of lives, limitless thousands of lives, limitless hundreds of thousands of lives, for the coming into being of a kalpa, the decaying of a kalpa, for limitless comings into being and decays of kalpas, how I was born in such and such a place with such and such a name of such and such a clan and such and such a race with such and such food and drink, having such and such a lifespan, dwelling in such and such a length of time with such and such suffering and happiness. Having died there, I was reborn in such and such a place. Having died in such and such a place, I was reborn in this place with such and such a form, with such and such characteristics and appearance, and such and such a mode of speech. In that way, he can remember and call to mind the limitless particulars of the past. We're going through a section of the text that talks about what are called psychic powers. In Chinese culture, these are known as shantong, and in popular Chinese culture, they have a different context than they do in our Buddhist sutra. So that's interesting all by itself, and we've been talking about that as we go into these. This is the official, uh, standard, traditional, formal, uh, what do you say, uh, dharma issue description of what psychic powers really are. Extra normal abilities, super normal abilities. And this forms a standard for us by which we can know what, what humanity, what your body and mind are capable of. Um, because these are, to the ordinary mind, miracles. This is miraculous stuff. Most people can't do these things. For that reason, people, myself included, are fascinated by them. These are fascinating. It's amazing. We have, what do we celebrate in our culture? We celebrate superheroes. Right? There's lots of superheroes. They're, the movies are un unending the number of movies that come out about people who uh, Spider-Man for example got bitten by a rare spider and uh, Spider-Man turned into this crime fighter who could shoot out a web from his wrist stick it onto a building and swing up and come down right in front of the bus and grab the little girl who wandered in the street and set her down safely while her mother was adored Superman, Spider-Man. And then Spider-Man would vanish and go off and become Peter Parker, this uh, poor, hapless news reporter for the Daily Planet. And then when the time came, he could turn back into Spider-Man. Of course, with his superhero suit and uh, lots of spin-off products. So, for, you know, for the commercial value, never mind. Actually, those movies were pretty good. Uh, they were among the better superheroes superhero films. So we are fascinated with ordinary people who develop these unusual abilities. 
probably because we are always bumping up against our own limits. We're pretty limited in what we can see, hear, know, what our six senses can do. So when we run into the sutra describing uh, the actual uh, real limits to our abilities, it's very fascinating how interesting this is. And the problem comes because, number one, people don't read the sutra, so we don't know about this. We don't know what the limits are. And two, people don't cultivate them. As a result, who has seen somebody who's got supernormal abilities? Mm, the Buddha actually told his disciples, if you do, don't talk about it. Don't show them off. Because it's so fascinating to find somebody who can do this that everybody goes to that one individual, leaving the other monks who are completely virtuous and good and wonderful dharma vessels, get no attention. That was a problem in the Buddhist time. So, we don't know who's got them. If you got them, you can't show them off. As a result, what happens? There's this huge, wide field for people to pretend. You can pretend you got them. And who knows the difference? That's the problem. So in popular culture, uh, well, the films have picked them up. Uh, novels have picked them up. Look at Journey to the West, Xi in China. This is such a popular novel. Monkey, right? The Monkey King. Monkey King. Well, in that movie... Uh, in that story, which was first a novel, uh, Guanyin Bodhisattva is there, and uh, Sun Wukong, the monkey himself, has got extra normal abilities, and so it enters the culture that way, and pretty soon, you can claim that you've got them, and nobody can tell you different. And people do. People take advantage of that lack of knowledge, and manifest all kinds of wonderful powers. You know, people, oh, he's got psychic powers. Really? Yeah. Oh, great. Well, if you pay him, he'll tell you where your mother went when she died. And so the unscrupulous person gets money and says, oh, 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 really? Oh, but if you pay me a little more, I can fix it. What? 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 Your mom. What? Oh, well, 10000 here, here, here. What is it? Okay, uh, light some incense and we'll fix it. You know, uh, much better now. Oh, my glad boy, thank you. You know, people do that. There are, in Taiwan right this minute, there are people who, actually Los Angeles has them too. Uh, San Francisco probably. I haven't heard about so many, but in L.A., my goodness, there are, there are these magic monks who are pseudo-monks who will... Uh, fix it for you for a lot of money. And, but they, you have to pay them to look into your case. I don't, I don't think I'll take on your case. Oh, please, please. You pay them more. So this is open to, to uh, abuse because there's no way to know. There's no sign. So thank you, Avatamsaka Sutra, for giving us the standard. Okay? So here we are. That's just by way of introducing this, uh, this part of the, of the text. 
So, we've now come to the knowledge of past lives. Knowledge of past lives. This is number four, and there's one more tonight, which is uh, the heavenly eye. So, what about past lives? The Bodhisattva remembers and knows the particulars of limitless past lives. That's what this Bodhisattva knows. Then the sutra goes into detail. Oh my, look at the details. The word here is shum, life, lifetime. The bodhisattva, nian, zhi, nian means remember, zhi knows, yi, shum, one lifetime, ar, two lifetimes, san, okay, three lifetimes, su, so we were getting a basic instruction in modern Mandarin, yi, ar, san, su, one, two, three, four, and then it takes off, up to and including 10, 20, 30, up to and including 100, and then it, we've gone to three figures, then it goes to four figures, 100 lives, 1,000 lives, countless hundreds of thousands of lives. The numbers are piling up here. Then it says... It goes into eons. Now, the text we translated as kalpa. And uh, if I were translating this again, I would probably translate it as eon. Because the word jieba, jiebo, is kalpa. Right, that word jie is used as a... Um, used for a transliteration, but... Pretty much, eon means the same thing, and that eon has become the translation for kalpa. Kalpa, long period of time. How long is an eon? If you go to Wikipedia, you can count it out, the number of zeros. So, here it divides into cheng huai, cheng huai. Cheng is when the eon is waxing, it's getting bigger and bigger. Then eons come through four phases. This is the declining of an eon. And so eons go through the same process as human life. So do planets. So Changju Huai Kung, coming into being, maturity, decay, and back to the void. So this is the four phases of a lifetime, of a, a humans, old age, birth, old age, sickness, death, rebirth, four stages. And the planet has a lifespan, and the eon as the, the waxing period and the waning period. That's the way it was counted, not, in, not only in the Buddhist version of time, cosmology, but also in the Hindu version. So this is basic Indian cosmology that was adopted into Buddhism as well as Hinduism. So whole cycles of limitless numbers of coming into being and going away. So, in other words, in order to count out how many past lives this Bodhisattva knows, we've got, um, this, this is a style that Avatamsaka uses, one, two, three, four, then hundreds, one, two, three, four, then thousands, then hundreds of thousands, and then it leaps into eons of time. Um, what do we do, star dates? How do we, light years, we have various ways that science talks about the longest reckoning, okay? I don't 
I haven't kept up. I don't know how many zeros those are. But the sutra does it that way. And then it goes into particulars. What does it say? Check this out. This is so interesting because you can hear the Bodhisattva's voice here saying, I I remember and I know where I was in each of those times, each of those lifetimes, what my name was, what my surname was. So not just your clan name, Li, Wang, Chen, White, Jones, Smith, but your given name. Was it Susie? Was it Bobby? What was your name? So your both your clan name and your given name. Furthermore, what caste, Zhongzhu, means race or caste. What was that? What was your skin color? What was your tribe? Right? We have only recently come away from looking at ourselves in terms of tribes. I understand currently we're focusing on Syria because there's a civil war happening now. And after the Arab Spring of this past year, we started looking at Yemen and places like, of course, Iraq and Iran. Those are still, by and large, tribal societies, particularly Syria, apparently. It's, it's tribes. They, there are powerful clans that are in charge. They don't have, quote, the democratic system of government where you transcend tribe because everybody has an individual opinion, everybody has a vote, everybody's got a, uh, a choice. Not the case. Um, when do you see tribe happening for Zhongzhu? The Chinese worldview is still largely contained in tribes, interestingly, or clans. How does it work? This, I learned this uh, when I first went to Taiwan to uh, thinking that I was going to organize a youth group, DRBY, Dharmaram Buddhist Youth, in, uh, in our Taipei branch. And this is, you know, 15 years ago. And uh, so I would happily say, okay, all you young people, you know, who's got an opinion? And the first thing the young people did was they looked left and they looked right to see who was there older than they were. Because if you are number two or if you're the child and dad or mom is there, or if you're the Zhong, if you're the Lao Ar, or the Mei Mei, or the Didi, you don't open your mouth first to talk over somebody older than you. That's a clan version. Because why? You represent the Wang family. You represent the Chen, the Lin family. And if you make a mistake by raising your hand the way anybody in the West, ah, call on me, I'd like to tell you what I think. <laughs> me. You know? No. You'd embarrass the whole family. Oh my God, that's wrong. You, you would not do that. That's not possible. You know, to think that a, a, the younger is going to speak up to, rep, you know, you know, if they say the, 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 uh, the nail that sticks out gets hammered first, right? You don't open your mouth carelessly. You wait to see who's... And then if dad is here, dad speaks for all of you. You know, Guga speaks for all. You don't shout out over top of Guga. You don't. So it's like this, and I'm saying that's there's a lot of wisdom there. That's 
in a clan society. But in, in this country, you know, let's all listen to the youngest one. What do they have? They're innocent. You know, what, what do you think, dearie, sweetie? You know, it's like, I don't know. What do you ask me for? Kids are like, oh, okay, yeah. You know, it's like, that's, that's very good, Bobby. You know, we just don't get It's totally different. Because we, we take this rugged individualism to an extreme in the, in the West. So kids have lawyers. You know, kids sue their parents in the West. So anyway... Uh, so this is this is clan is very much a part of our world right now, uh, and so the Bodhisattva knows what clan he was. Furthermore, what did he eat or drink in that lifetime? That's the one that always grabbed me. The Bodhisattva, with the knowledge of past lives, looks back and says, "Right, in that eon, on that planet, in that world, I had." this skin on, this gender, I belong to this clan, and I'll tell you what I had for lunch. <laughs> oh, that's pretty precise. My goodness. Furthermore, how long did I live? Right? Did I die in the plague that time? Or did I die surrounded by great-grandchildren? Uh, what, where did I stay? Did I live on the mountaintop? Or was I by the river? What did I enjoy? What was my biggest, what was the worst part of my life? What was the pain at that time? What was the, what did I enjoy the most? Did I play the violin? Was I a violinist and I just love music? You know, or was I, uh, mostly I spent most of my life as a widow because my husband died after the, the same year I was married and so I stayed a widow all my life uh, I died there I know where I died and I know where I was reborn because I have this power of past lives and I know where I died again and I know where I was reborn again so uh, what did I look like? What was my appearance? Right? What kind of body? What kind of face? The Bodhisattva is able to know all those things. What was my voice like? What did I say? People are known by their voices. Have you, have you heard that? This, this, have you realized that? I um, had a particular struggle with one young monk in the Sangha. And this was already... 24 years ago. The last time I saw this monk, he didn't stay a monk uh, after a while. And I have lost touch with him uh, for all this time. And <clears throat> because of the 50th anniversary, I had an opportunity to talk to him on the phone and invite him to come make sure he knew about it. As soon as I heard his voice, all the old reactions rose immediately because I had that voice nasal voice and all of my uh, I don't want to say enmity karma but a little bit of that uh, luckily we got past it thanks to Master Hua's intervention but when I heard the voice all the old buttons were pushed immediately and I hadn't heard his voice for 24 years how funny voices have you know voice prints are as unique as retina scans so Voices. The Bodhisattva knows what voices 
he, what voice he or she had. And this means male, female, young, old. In that way, he or she can remember and call to mind the limitless particulars of the past. How about that? So, when I read this, it's like, gee whiz, that's a lot of data. We talk about databases. Uh, somebody, a hacker, breaks into uh, LinkedIn. LinkedIn is a current social network for employment, for a career. Somebody breaks into LinkedIn and steals 2,000, 2 million coded emails, right? And people have to change their passwords quick, especially if you use the same password for multiple accounts. Not a good idea, by the way. And goodness, and we go, wow, 2 million. This happened last week. 2 million email addresses, jeez. What kind of hard drive holds all that? You know, I mean, I think that's a lot. Well, here's a sutra telling you that the bodhisattva, meaning you, when your mind is developed to this degree, you can not only contain limitless passwords, you know, like a database, a silicon-based database, your own carbon-based, meaning your hydrocarbon, your own mind, has perfect recall of such ephemeral details as what you ate that day. How much the more where you lived your address, etc., etc. Totally amazing. I mean, that is staggering. And yet, here's the sutra saying, that's it. Okay, so my question, where is that information kept? Where do you, where is that knowledge? Right? And if that's true, your mind has an amazing storage capacity and recall capacity. Right? Now we can use these words because we are in the, the age of digital memory. On boingboing.net last week, somebody there's a, there's a funny website called the slow-mo guys, the slow-motion guys. They take things that move really fast and slow them down by filming them really fast. So if you go out to the slow-mo guys, it shows you how a hard drive, a standard hard drive, reads the data. And the arm, the magnetic arm, they, they show it to you fast. It moves... 22 times in 0.25 of a second to get different and and you can't see it. 25th of a second is you know faster than you can snap your fingers. And the arm has gone 22 different places on the hard drive to to bring back your MP3 that you were looking for or your your document. They slow it down and you see how this arm goes doo, doo. bringing your silicon-based information back to you that you ask for, right? All right, and then they pour water on it and kill it. It's like these guys are perverse. So they, they show that happen too. 
So it's like there is this little magnetic arm that people created using nanotechnology. How this your hard drive guaranteed on your old iPod is doing that to bring your music back on your laptop, on your desktop, doing that. On your iPad in solid state, it's not doing that. So if something that people make can bring back all that data, what about something that people didn't make that you arrived with, i.e. your body and mind, being able to somehow access accurately all that incredible information? What is it? Check your sutra. What is it? We're on, by the way, page 58 and 59. So it's able to access incredible amounts of data about your past life. Not just your past life, but past lives from, here we go, limitless thousands, hundreds of thousands of lives coming into being of an eon, the decaying of an eon, limitless coming into beings and decayings of eons in every sense, every episode, every uh, life, all that information is available to you. What is it? What you ate and drank, where you lived, how long you lived, what was your name, what was your caste, etc. That's amazing. We used to say back in the early days of TV, golly, Mr. Wizard, how does it do that? we would say. And then Mr. Wizard would tell you. It's a great TV show. Ask Mr. Wizard. And he was explaining how a telephone works. You know. Ask Mr. Wizard. Golly, how does it do that? Okay. Well, the answer is enter Samadhi and find out. The other answer is I don't know because I haven't done that, but anybody can. This information is hardwired into us, but we simply don't go access it. And here's how the Bodhisattva can do it, should he or she decide that's what they want to do. How interesting. Man, oh man. When it gets down to the contents of a meal, food and drink, you go, gee. Somehow, that, number one, that made an impression somewhere that is recoverable indexed and tagged and recoverable. How interesting. Okay, what else is in here? What is implicit in this is the idea that we are born and die and are reborn. I mean, we just skimmed right over that, right? What is implicit in this is the notion of reincarnation. What about people who say we only come around once? Grab for all the gusto you can get. Well, you could look at that and say, hmm, that's simply inaccurate. Not true. This is it. You better live it to the hilt because tomorrow we die and that's it. Eat, drink, and be merry or tomorrow we die. Well, that means we might die tomorrow, but we'll be right back. That's the point. So, who says? Well, Christians and Jews say so. What's, how do Christians and Jews talk about future lives? Want to be reborn in heaven at the right hand of God. Reincarnation. Oh, watch out, you might fall into hell. Reincarnation. 
Come on, get serious. You say, no, we don't believe in rebirth. Of course you do. Heaven and hell. Well, that's different. No, it's not. And, interestingly enough, if you look back into biblical history, you discover that reincarnation was a part of church teaching up to the Council of Nicaea. For various political reasons, it was deleted. They just wiped out that teaching. If you go back to what are called the Nicene Gospels, to the I'm sorry, the Essene Gospels, the Essene Gospels are a part of biblical literature that is considered apocryphal. Now it's no longer appropriate to mention it, but there were centuries when that was part of the Bible, and they didn't delete. The part about rebirth. It's all there. So ancient wisdom, pretty much by and large, says like everything else that comes and goes, our souls, whatever word you use, are also recycled. It's only energy going to matter, coming to energy, going to matter. Why would souls somehow leap out of spiraling cycles of energy. They don't. Until your karma's done. And that's called Anuttara Samyak Sambodhi. That's the Buddha's enlightenment. So you can leave the cycle of rebirth, but you have to cultivate your way out of it. Until you do, like everything else, we come back. We change, we get recycled, but we're back and back and back. And this notion that somehow this is our last and only chance is simply short-sighted. So, how interesting. But what's amazing in this passage of text is the Bodhisattva says, yeah, I can tell you what I ate for lunch in lifetime on planet Xenon in the star's galaxy called, you know, Alpha Antares or something. Fascinating. Okay. Anybody have a comment or like a reflection? What's going on here? And if this is all true, how come we don't know? Alan, you're smiling to yourself. Can you hang on one second? Can we get that to my... Because uh, I have to read the question back so people can hear it, and this is getting long, and I'm going to forget. So you want to hear it firsthand. Phil, <laughs> Phil was sitting below the top. 
You have my sympathy. Okay, check it first before you. Is that on? Good. So, so far, Alan said he had heard that Marty, uh, the former Hung Chao, in a past life was Emperor uh, Wu, uh, the, the martial emperor of the Liang dynasty, Liang Wu Di. And so he always wanted to ask Marty that. And finally he got a chance over at IWR and said, Marty, I've heard that you're Liang Wudi. Is that true? And Marty said, Studied a story when he was young. He always dreamed about a very old Chinese palace, but he didn't even know that was a palace. He just he, you say dreamed, dreamed of a palace, yes. of an old palace. Old Chinese side palace. And then a kind of Middle Age Chinese side. And because he grew up in the Middle East, he, at that time probably he didn't even see a Chinese side in that neighborhood, but he just keep thinking the same person. He would neither confirm nor deny. Right. Very political. So you still don't know. For Marty not to say yes or no is, is a, that's skillful on his part. Could it be said, yeah, I was, you know. Clearly, <laughs> <laughs> he said, even now, many people think that Yeah, funny. Okay. Well, we're talking about past lives, and that's a uh, Master Hua, okay, the Venerable Master did not go around telling people about their past lives. He didn't. Unless you were a close disciple, committed, and somehow telling you that information would help you. Um, mostly it didn't happen. I um, Sometimes when people would get into trouble, for example, uh, or trouble meaning they would be cultivating and have a, uh, a negative emotional reaction to their karma, or if they would, Shifu would say, uh, his karmic obstacles have arisen, you know, situations from the past. He would talk about it. Well, I actually have told you the story of one evening at Gold Mountain Monastery on 15th Street, we were listening to Shurfu's lecture on the Avatamsaka Sutra, and he started to cough. And he coughed, and he couldn't stop coughing. And his face turned red, and he, it, was, it got serious, and he was like holding his throat and having a very hard time. This is Shurfu, Master Hua. And at a certain point, he said, you all stay here. Uh, when the time comes, transfer the merit. You all meditate. 
And he got off the high seat, got down off the Dharma seat, and went up to his room. And we're all going, oh, man, never seen Shurfu like stop a lecture like that. And so we did. We sat there for like half an hour meditating and, and uh, transferred the merit. And at the end of the transference, Shurfu came back down. And he said, uh, have you ever seen me do this before? No, Shurfu, we never did. Uh, I was pretty uncomfortable. Yeah, we were worried about you, Shurfu. What happened? He said, well, uh, he said, all of you who... Uh, he said, those of you who, who need to go home, because uh, it was 9 o'clock and there were families there, can go. Uh, and then uh, he said, I'll, uh, anybody who wants to hear, I'll tell you. Of course, nobody moved. Right? So, we're, uh, <laughs> so we're, uh, he says, well, he said, you all think your shirfu is pretty good, right? Well, yeah. He said, well, he said, you all don't know the whole story. He said, I have been everything. I had been everything. That uh, I'd been an, uh, an ant. I'd been a mosquito. I'd been a horse. He said I'd been a fierce general many lifetimes. I was a da meng jiang. He said, and he said in one life I killed uh, an opposing general, and I did so in a particularly cruel and unjust way. He came back for me tonight. And if I had no cultivation, I would have had to give him, I would have had to die on the spot because I owed him my life. I killed him in a cruel and unjust way. He said, luckily, because I have a little bit of cultivation, I was able to cross him over, he said. So he said, Big disasters become little ones, little disasters disappear if you have enough blessings and merit and virtue. Gongda. So he said, You all understand? We're going, No, Shifu, we totally don't understand what you're saying, but the principle makes sense. He said, Yeah. He said, So uh, he said, don't, don't assume that your teacher has always been you know, a Buddhist monk. He said, I have been everything in my past lives. And then he looked and said, so have you. The difference is, I remember, you all forgot. He said, we're like, oh, oh. So when he says it, you really believe it, you know. So that's, we saw that. You know, here's our teacher lecturing, and then suddenly he's like, can't continue. He's coughing and just, and he goes upstairs and comes back down, and he looks okay. And that's the story. So when your karma, when the seeds that we plant come right, that's what happens. They take us. Because it's time. It's harvest time. It's payback time. And the good is also true. The good, when that comes right, it's time. Okay. So that's one that we saw. That I saw. Shrifu rarely talked about people's past lives. Um... Occasionally, there was, uh, there was a time traveling through Malaysia when we were on a tour going from town to town to town. And I remember that we were in, uh, first it was Ibo, Ibao, and then it was uh, um, 
Pahang, and then we were in we were in the center, and we were, went to KL, and then we went down to um, Jahor Bahru, and little towns like Moir, Mabo, places like that. And uh, everywhere we went, uh, after Sherpa was finished talking, people would line up to bow to him. And they just, on their own, nobody told them to. Sherpa would come down in the middle, and people would make a big line going through the basketball court and out the door into the lobby, you know, because we go to little basketball courts and have a Dharma talk, the biggest place in town. And people would line up and line up. And then Sherfa would, we'd be standing there beside him, reciting and kind of trying to keep people away from, from wanting to go up and grab him and touch his robe and stuff. And Sherfa would say, you see, you all see, tonight they're mostly foxes, he would say. Doshu do Really, Shifu? Yeah, last night they were frogs, mostly. <laughs> yeah, they were, they were, yeah. <laughs> okay, so different clans, different, they, they're in human form, but they, we carry, apparently, we carry behind us what we have been. And if your eyes are open, you can see that. And you know your own as well. So, Alan, you're going to be frustrated if you need to know whether Marty indeed was Liang Wudi. But um, when I heard that, uh, Shifu said so, the, the night that Marty, or the day that Marty shaved his head. Um, so as an emperor of China, there's all kinds of things that you carry with you, such as... Um, an ability to command people. And wherever Marty goes, young people follow him. He taught at the boys' school at CTDB, and all the boys were in line behind him. He commands an army wherever he goes. It's just, and it's like, of course, of course, that's natural. Uh, yeah, let's go. Yeah, okay. He's got that ability. And uh, this, I'll tell you, is strange. Once you hear this principle and then you start looking at the particulars, it's very strange. I don't know if people are aware, but it is big in the Midwest anyway. There's a thing called boys' state. There's also girls' state. David might have heard about it. Boys' state, it was organized around, I don't know, it might have been like Rotary or Knights of Columbus or the Lions Club or something like that. But it was bigger than all of those. Boys' State is a um, parallel political institution. It might have come out of the National Student Council program. I'm not sure. But across the country, boys who join Boys' State, it's kind of like Boy Scouts in a way, there would be two from every state who would get nominated there would be what, depending on the population, X number of congressmen, boys, who would get nominated. And they, they run, and they get elected, and then they meet. And it's kind of like a parallel mirror organization of the U.S. government. And it was popular, I'm sure, back in the 50s and 60s. Well, there's a president, and there's a vice president, and there's cabinet members. Guess who was president of Boys State? Marty. One around the country, one president. 
Okay, what else is an emperor? An emperor is the baddest cat in the jungle. Right? If you look at emperors, emperors are largely Bawang. They're the toughest warlord. Right? Who beats all the other warlords. They have the virtue? Well, maybe. But they're, they beat everybody else. Right? Zhang Jieshi, you know, his, his, his gang was the one that won among all the other gangs. You know, how virtuous is Zhang Jieshi? Am I going to be struck down? I'm, I'm sorry if I'm bad-mouthing him. Uh, I guess it's safe now, right? Can I talk about it? Uh, maybe the KMT is going to come and assassinate me. So anyway, Zhang Jieshi... So, what happened? So, um, you have to be the strongest fighter. Well, Marty held the all-American sit-up record most number of sit-ups consecutive at one time for about four years. 1,300 consecutive sit-ups. And he was finally beaten by a Marine somewhere. And he's like, oh, yeah, yeah. No. He was, they, the Air Force Academy tried to draft him as their halfback. They wanted him to play football because he was a champion halfback. Well, no, he went to the University of Wisconsin instead. And, you know, it goes on and on and on. And so our teacher, uh, when uh, he had Marty out doing three steps, one bow, as the Dharma protector, he had it. He could teach him now. So here we are in uh, Bodega Bay. And uh, so we haven't seen Shurfu for a month. And he comes out to talk. Oh, we're so, you know. Glad to see our teacher because we've been out there bowing for 30 days without any, any touch back to home base. And Marty kneels down in front of Shurfu and he says, you translate. And so cause I, cause Marty didn't speak Chinese. You know, everybody else can do it. He doesn't have to speak. So, okay, so that's the emperor's prerogative. So, so he says, Shurfu, Shurfu, I've had a real change of heart. Oh, you've had a change of Yeah, I'm really, I really, I'm so arrogant, Shurfu. I just... Only one of my eyes is me. I really, really want to change and start over. So Marty has taken off his, you know, his knit cap, his skull cap, and he's got to fold it there. And so Shrivo says, oh, really, a change of heart. That's great. And he brushes the hat off down on the ground. And Shrivo takes his yellow monk shoe, puts it on the hat, and starts to grind it into the dirt like this. The shrivel's going, oh, that's really good. I hope you can cultivate modesty. And Marty's going, yes. <laughs> shrivel, my hat. That's my hat, shrivel. You know, shrivel's going, oh, you know, arrogance is, is really an affliction. You should look into that. Yeah, that's good. Grind his hat. And Marty completely forgets his repentance and presents, shrivel, that's my hat. And, and shrivel goes, oh, how did I step on your hat? And he knocks the dirt off it and says, here you go. And Marty like, carefully puts his hat back on. It's his crown. It's his crown. Marty is super aware of crowns and hats. Want to make him happy? Give him a hat. <laughs> Don't tell him I said so. All right? It's like, it's, it's just as automatic as the sun rising. He just, he's like, oh, yeah. How do I look? You know? <laughs> It's called Shi Chi. There it is. And Shifu's talking to his habits, you know. 
He knew. He ground his crown. Suddenly all the repentance is gone. <laughs> it's like, sure, but that's my hat. <laughs> you know, stop stepping on my crown. So it's when you see this, you think, oh, how long have they, these two people been doing this? The story in the Sixth Patriarch is how Bodhidharma, the patriarch, came from India to China to teach. Okay, who did he meet? He met Liangwudi. What did Liangwudi say? Liangwudi said, I built umpteen monasteries. I shaved the heads of hundreds and hundreds of monks. Do you recognize how much merit I've got? And, the, and Bodhidharma goes, Bushu. None. So Yangwudi kicks him out and says, This phony monk from India, <laughs> what does he know? Black faced butt faker. You know. <laughs> so Bodhidharma goes away and goes to Bears Ear Mountain and sits for nine years and looking. Yangwudi at some point recognizes that that was the patriarch. Oh, please forgive me. You know, Bodhidharma said. Who knows? Who knows? So, if Marty was the Angudi, who was Shurfu? I don't know. So, this very interesting stuff. I don't know. If you open, one of you can all quickly open your shuming home and take a look, all right, and tell us. But used to, when you hear this, you go, that's really interesting. So, it's also false thinking, right? Who are you? Alan Huang. I know you're fascinated with Marty. Who are you? I mean, that's the question to ask, you know. Who will you become? Who am I? Who will I become? I mean, Marty's fun. That's fun to play with, right? Who are you? Will I be a human in my next life? Will I come back as a bhikshuni in next life? Who knows? Will I come back as a human at all in the next life? Who knows? So, this is really interesting. And you, the, what this does is it generates, because every single one of us is one knot in a web of relationships. And don't look at yourself isolated. Look at yourself as son of, daughter of, spouse of, employee of, father of. And then you go, boy, Suddenly, it's like, I don't really care who I've been. What I care about is, how will I be starting tonight? How will I be to the Weber relationships I have right now? Because how I am to my web of relationships right now has a lot to do with who I'll become in the future. Suppose, for example, I say, now, right now, being son of, daughter of, friend of, student of, teachers of, if I benefit each and every one of those relationships with my mind by refusing to be depressed, by refusing to be afflicted, by refusing to be disinterested to my dad, to my mom, to my kids, to my boss, then all of those other links in the net will be positive, supporting, nurtured, fertilized, composted by my good 
heart connected because we're never disconnected from that net. Never. We never get out of the net of relationships as long as we've got a body. We came from somebody. So use that connection and send out the good stuff. We all know this, but we... Right? We send out that sound, that vibe, instead of the positive, wholesome vibe that every one of us has in full. Nobody lacks the ability to fertilize all our relationships with good stuff. But we mostly don't. It's moody, didn't feel like it. Too busy surfing. Right? Yeah. Or we have to. We don't put our hearts in. So, or worse, we make it bad. We send out nasty stuff. So, okay, guess what? Next life, see you again. Only not as good. Because when we had the, the connection this time, we misused the opportunity. We lost the chance to benefit each other. So that's the question. Not what will I be or what I've been. I mean, that's a gee whiz kind of thought. right? Gee whiz, wow, I wonder what I what will I be. The question is, given that I will be back, what am I going to do with that connection? That's the question to ask. How will I be when I come back? Not what will I be. Right? So that's the question to ask. Because here's the Bodhisattva saying, he can remember without going online, without checking Google or Wikipedia, he knows, she knows exactly what she ate for lunch and what body and what world when. That's amazing. Right? So let's grab the chance to be generators of goodness to those people who we're connected to. Okay. Now, speaking of which, please turn. Page 74. Song. This is kind of funny. I have had this song around... since 2005 and I've never really sung it here it's all these years I haven't really done this song the story of John Henry. John Henry. John Henry was an African-American hero, a folk hero. He used to build railroads, and he built railroads with a spike and a hammer. His his holder would take the spike and hold it out. John Henry would take a nine-pound sledgehammer, swing it over his head and go, bang, and never miss, right? 
There weren't many one-handed spike holders left because they lost the other hand. Mostly, John Henry could do it so fast all day long that he beat a steam drill. The true story, he was building the uh, Chesapeake in Ohio, the CNO, and they were coming around a tunnel, and the boss man, who I think was British, actually, uh, introduced a power drill, a steam drill, that was supposed to be able to hit the spikes faster. Bunk, 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 bunk. Saving time, building the railroad faster. Well, John Henry said, all right, boss man, he said, we'll have a race. I'm going to beat your steam drill. So they had a race, and they started. He, John Henry's pounding his pound hammer in the steel down, and the steam drill's going and going and going and going and going, and guess what? John Henry beats the steam drill. The steam drill breaks down. John Henry drops his hammer and dies on the spot, having beaten the steam drill. So that's the stuff of folk hero ballads. When John Henry was a little baby, sitting on his daddy's knee, he picked up a hammer and a little piece of steel, said, this hammer be the death of me. This hammer be the death of me. You've all heard that song, right? John Henry? Is there anybody who's heard John Henry? song? Two, three. Okay. So, well, it's much more fun if people all know the original, right? So we put John Henry in 2012. He's working in Silicon Valley. John Henry is a coder. He's a geek. So you lose some of the irony and the humor if you don't know the original story. Here we go. When John Henry was a little baby Playing on his daddy's PC He picked up a mouse and he clicked it once or twice Said this computer's gonna be the death of me This computer's gonna be the death of me John Henry was a code warrior A super savvy techno geek He knew Java, Perl, even XML He mastered every web technique He mastered every web technique John Henry joined a dot-com startup With stock options and a Jaguar The boss said if you put in overtime In this high-tech world you'll go far In this high-tech world you'll go far this was a time, written in a time, when if you had skills, you had 6, 10, 12 messages on your answering machine saying, come to work for us, we'll give you stock options, and the keys to the Jaguar are in your mailbox. This was the dot-com bubble, remember? Anybody get hired back then, right? True, no joke, if you had web techniques, web skills, you had multiple job offers waiting for you and a car thrown in to sweeten the bargain. True. True story. You are all too young. God, you guys can. The boss said to John Henry, get your website up online. Because we laid off half the staff and deadlines coming on. John Henry, you must put in overtime. John Henry, you must put in overtime. 
John Henry said to the IT boss, a man ain't nothing but a man. I'll make your deadline with time to spare, or I'll die with this mouse in my hand. I'll die with this mouse in my hand. Well, the sun set on Silicon Valley and high above Cupertino. John Henry was compiling his code. John Henry was compiling his code. Okay, here you get the mythical elements. Folklore comes in here. John Henry pounded dual keyboards, drank gallons of hot coffee without cream. His monitor shed light and his mouse was spitting fire. He made his dual keyboard scream. He made his dual keyboard scream. Can you see one hand on each keyboard? Right? When the sun rose over Cupertino, John Henry was not the least bit stressed till the boss said, John, we don't need you anymore. Your Jaguar's been repossessed. Your Jaguar's been repossessed. The boss said to John Henry, your skill set's no longer in demand. A Microsoft solution made your job obsolete. You must walk with this pink slip in your hand. You must walk with this pink slip in your hand. Internet. I reconnected to my family tree. I reconnected to my family tree. The internet hold the tea. My PC crashed at sunrise. Lord, how it set me free. I processed so much data that I saw the face of God. Microsoft has liberated me. Microsoft has liberated me. trunk line. My wisdom's like an ISP. You ready? All you geeks? It's a single server portal with infinite bandwidth. It's great compassion's own technology. It's great technician's only technology. When you're surfing the information highway, the new new paradigm to see. Remember John Henry put it down and found his mind. It's our fundamental connectivity. It's our fundamental connectivity. Hello. Oh, come on. You're just clapping because everybody else is. I know. You didn't get it. Oh, you're all too young. Okay. Tough. Anyway, so... When um, I actually sang that song for a conference in San Francisco hosted by, what was it? Um, was it Wired? I forget. Anyway, I am in a Silicon Valley publication 
linked to an MP3 with that song. And the only Buddhist monk who sings about John Henry in Silicon Valley, I guarantee you that. <laughs> Not that anybody's asking, mind you. Okay, there you go. You heard it here probably for the first and last time. All right. Okay, so uh, lots of information. One, we will not be here next week. One of the few times that a sutra lecture will not be given here on a Saturday night because we're going to be up at CTVB doing the same thing. Please, if you cannot come to the 50th anniversary of the Venerable Master, dial in. Check out drba.org. drba.org because there will be a webcast. Yen Lin is going to have us online. And the topic will be... The topic will be um, the senior disciples of Master Xuanhua looking forward to uh, what they feel um, the Dharma will manifest, what, how the Dharma is going to grow in the 21st century based on what they've been doing all day on Saturday, which we'll be talking about what they got from Master Xuanhua um, in the time with him. Based on that, projected forward. What's, gonna, what's it going to be like? The Sangha, the Sutras, the schools, the interfaith conversation. How is that going to change in the future based on what we've, how we've come in the last 50 years? What's the next 50 going to look like? So that's going to be on drba.org. Phil, would you type that in to the chat so people can find it? There will be a lot of folks who will come here probably looking. So if you wouldn't mind, please, this week, telling anybody who asks that next week we're webcasting from CTTP. Um, it's going to be a, a major event, and uh, everybody should know that from Friday on, there won't be any activities here at the monastery. The regularly scheduled activities will be switched from Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and Monday morning up to CTDB. Okay, so let people know. Um, now, that being said, if you all can come up to CTDB, please mark your calendar. 23rd and 24th, Saturday, Sunday, um, big doings up at the City of 10,000 Buddhas. The 50th anniversary of Master Shrenhua is bringing the Dharma to the West and to the world. Yes, Phil. And a link so people can find it too. Great. Great. Okay, so there will be, if you go to berkeleymonastery.org, you'll see that uh, the, the regularly scheduled events will be shifted in analog time up to CTDB, and the digital, the digital door to our webcast will open from there too. drba.org. Okay, questions about that? If not, tomorrow morning, Gold Sage Monastery, Sutra of Golden Light, the Most Supreme King, Jin Guangming Sui Sheng Wang Jing, 
down at Gold Sage uh, on Clayton Road in San Jose up in the eastern hills. And when you climb up that hill and look out, you see all of the Santa Clara Valley uh, in front of you. It's a wonderful sight. Uh, recently, the air has been very clear, so you can see. Um, you can see up to the north the towers of the Golden Gate Bridge, that big, uh, in the distance. So it's very wonderful. Um, overhead, there are hawks flying. It's uh, the eastern hills of San Jose. People don't think of San Jose as having hills, but up in the eastern hills of San Jose, it's very much old California, very beautiful landscape. So we're up there. Uh, 9 a.m. to 11, Sutra Golden Light, come down and, and listen. Have a vegetarian lunch there. It's quite quite fine. Okay, Chin Wisher. Uh, the two... Okay. Okay, Ajahn Guna, our resident Theravada Bhikkhu, and James Roberts, uh, other resident, need a ride. Both need a ride to CTDB Friday. Anybody going up Friday, they would appreciate having a, a seat going up. Okay, now I'm not going to tell you all the details about the 50th anniversary because we've gone over them before. You can, where can people find those? We. Yeah, tomorrow, if you go to drva.org, we promise to post those, post those schedules up so you can look from hour to hour what's going on at CTDB. I, I saw that, it's very nice. If you are on the Berkeley Monastery mailing list, you'll find that schedule posted. Uh, Alan just sent it out. If you're not on the Berkeley Monastery mailing list, why not? <laughs> Please see Alan Huang tonight and give him your email address and we'll put you on. That's a really good thing to be on because it's whenever there's a change or something new, we let you know automatically via email. It's a it's a Yahoo group. It's a Google Plus. Google Google group. More announcements. Um, Oregon, the Oregon Buddha Root Farm Retreat. Please do consider taking part. And Brandon, we're staring at you. Have, have, did you sign up? I won't put you on the spot. Oh, yeah. no, you have to say yes or no. Your answer will not be testable in court. You're not responsible. So, nonetheless, do consider uh, coming to Buddha Root Farm. It's our week in the Oregon mountains. It's happening in August 12th to the 18th. And that means you got to take a week off vacation. And, uh, but it's really worth it. And we would love to have uh, as many folks who, who are interested come up. Um, it's, a, it's a camp out. So if you've never camped before, this is a good uh, gentle introduction to that wonderful experience. And we spend the week uh, living in, in the woods at our, our mountain monastery in the coast of Oregon, near Reedsport, called Buddha Root Farm. No cell phone reception, how much the less any broadband. So it's a great chance to take a data Sabbath 
but you're, it's somehow nobody misses it because there's so much input from the trees and the grass and the flowers and the animals and the air and the elk. It's just fabulous up there. And we're listening to the Sixth Patriarch Sutra this year. Um, there will be puppets and music and uh, soccer and yoga and frisbee and all that good stuff, as well as some of the finest vegetarian food you have ever put in your mouth. And a chance to do lots of service for the community. It's a great experience. So, that's uh, if you want to find out about that and look at pictures and movies of years past, go to not www, but http oregon.berkeleymonastery.org so O-R-E-G-O-N dot Berkeley Monastery, one word, dot O-R-G. And if you decide you do want to go, now's the time to register because that helps us know about food and driving, how to get you in a car. Okay? Oregon.BerkeleyMonastery.org Okay, now, one more thing. If you don't know what part of the weekend to take in, let me recommend that you consider coming up for the piano concert on Sunday night at CTTB. Gwyneth Chun is going to be performing Bach and Liszt. Uh, she is very much informed by her, her cultivation. Her musical performance arises from her own cultivation. Vegetarian, since she took refuge with Master Hua in 93, suddenly started eating vegetarian. She bows to the lotus. She wouldn't want me to advertise for her, but she... Her cultivation centers around the Lotus Sutra and Guanyin Bodhisattva, the Great Compassion Mantra, and such things. And uh, you can tell that this is somebody who uh, performs from a, a state of stillness. Uh, it's quite amazing, the music that arises. And most of us, if we listen to music, it's usually recorded, right? When you actually get to, to sit close to someone whose fingers are making that music, uh, especially music like that on a nine-foot Yamaha grand piano, it's, it's quite astounding. And uh, your ears go, oh my goodness, you know, this is different. So please do consider, it's a free concert offered by Gwyneth and City of 10,000 Buddhas to all of you. Um, her performance last year in Taiwan of the 12 list etudes was considered by Music Magazine, M-U-Z-I-K, as the second most important concert after the Berlin Philharmonic in Taiwan last year. Uh, she got a standing ovation that lasted minutes and minutes, and she was in tears, and many of the people listening said that was the most moving thing I've ever experienced in my life. So, no joke. I mean, we don't say these things just to you know, as advertisements. This is what happened. So I think probably Shifu told Gwyneth Chun, you should come to the city of 10,000 Buddhas and perform. Well, she never had the chance until next Sunday. So this is the time. So. Recommended. Okay, let's transfer the merit and we'll uh, see you next week up at CTDB. May every living being our mind